soon. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. And uh, we're going to read all of the text together because this is the Word of God. You are the people of God, and it is the Lord's Day after all. Would you please stand, if you are able, to hear the God who still speaks to his people in his Word? Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Luke wrote as he was carried along by God's Spirit these words. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico or porch called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Church family, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Earliest Christianity immediately following the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven was in many respects a Jewish movement. After all, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus' first followers were Jews, and they continued to observe some of the Jewish practices after his earthly ministry. On the other hand, the book of Acts records a transitional period that begins to take place from a predominantly Jewish church to a mixed church over time, comprised of believing Jews and Gentiles. This happens throughout the book of Acts as we're going to see. And so for this reason, Acts highlights the unity of the church, not around Jewish practices, but around faith in Jesus Christ. For this unity to be well established, however, the early Christians, the early Jewish Christians in particular, had to embrace a realization that Luke begins demonstrating, he's actually already done some of this, but he really begins to highlight this realization in Acts chapter 3, and he'll continue to do this in subsequent chapters. What is this realization? Broadly, this is it. 
It is that Jesus is better than Jewish identity and practices. For the early Jews that were Christians, this really was revolutionary. Jesus is better than Jewish identity and practices. Now that's broad. We're going to get more narrow in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 16, we learn more narrowly that Jesus is better than a central fixture in Jewish belief and practice. And that central fixture is the temple. In fact, the word temple in the verses we're going to look at this morning appears something like six times. Luke will not allow us to forget that this happens in and around the temple. In fact, if you highlight in your Bibles or you underline, if you do that sort of thing, you could do that as we march our way through this text. And so to summarize our text this morning with a bit more of a narrow focus, we could say something like this. If you like a proposition or a thesis for the text, this is the thesis for Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Jesus is better than the temple. Jesus is better than the temple. If you're taking notes We will unpack the superiority of Jesus to the temple in three stages, okay? So you can jot these down now if you're taking notes. And and by the way, if you're new to note-taking, I'll typically do this in my introduction. I'll give you the primary points or I'll, I'll give you a bit of a road map and you can jot those down and then you can leave a little bit of room and go back and fill those in. At least that's the goal. So if you're taking notes, here they are. Three stages in the sermon this morning demonstrating the superiority of Jesus. First of all, we will observe just that, the demonstration that Jesus is better than the temple. The demonstration that Jesus is better than the temple. And that's verses 1 through 10. That was originally the text I was going to preach as a standalone and uh, just didn't feel right about it the later in the week it it became. So uh, that's our first point the demonstration that Jesus is better than the temple, verses one through 10. Second point, second stage in the sermon this morning, we will find in addition to the demonstration that Jesus is better than the temple, Peter's declaration that Jesus is better than the temple. So first, the demonstration in this sign that occurs, and then secondly, Peter declares the declaration that Jesus is indeed better than the temple. And this is verses 11 through 16. And then finally, after looking together at the demonstration and declaration that Jesus is better than the temple, we will conclude considering applications. Applications. Didn't have a D, so I just thought we would rhyme, okay? Applications in response to Jesus being better than the temple. So demonstration, declaration, application. First, let's consider the demonstration that Jesus is better than the temple. And this really is just a wonderful story in the text, verses 1 through 10. Look with me at verse 1, where Luke begins to build a little context for us. Looking down at the text at verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Your translation, your English translation may read 3 p.m. That would be accurate. This would have been about 3 p.m., known as the ninth hour. And, and by the way, we know from additional sources outside of Scripture that this became the time in and around the first century for the evening sacrifice. The evening sacrifice was commanded morning and evening in the Old Testament, in the Torah. But we're not given specific times in the biblical text. We do learn, however, from other sources that 3 o'clock p.m. was about the time of the evening sacrifice. But Luke doesn't tell us that they went up for the evening sacrifice. They went up for what purpose? For prayer. They went up for prayer. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, we learned that, that this group of early Christians, early Jewish Christians, continued to meet in the temple. This was common for them at this point in time, during the apostolic era, while the apostles are still alive, and especially here early on before severe persecution surfaced against the church, the church met in the temple. And so you can see how it was so often referred to even as a Jewish movement. Some critics of early Christianity, if we were to read some of the the early critics against the church, criticized it in part for having a kind of Jewish flavor. You'll see that from time to time. 
And we find that here in the text. As I mentioned to you a moment ago, and even as I'm speaking about the Jewish identity of the early church, you need to know this. The earliest church, not just the early church, the earliest church did not experience a clean break from their Jewish heritage. It wasn't the case. It wasn't like they had been Jews up until that point. Jesus came and they rejected their Judaism. That's not how they saw it. Nor is it how we should see it. And I know this is controversial, especially for those who are not believers in Jesus Christ, but it's who we are fundamentally, who we, what we believe about the coming of Jesus Christ, what they believed, the earliest Christians, and what we affirm on account of the word of God is not a clean break from Judaism, but rather that Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. Now, I know, I know in our culture that's, that comes across as a bit arrogant. It's, it's foundational to who we are, however, and uh, we, would, we would believe, if you're here this morning and, and, and you aren't a believer in Jesus Christ or what I just said to you is, is a bit offensive, consider this with me for just a moment. We actually believe that it's arrogant not to accept the teaching of Scripture on these matters. It, it's, actually, it's actually arrogant to reject the teaching of the Lord we claim to worship. That would be arrogance. And so we believe this because we believe the Lord Jesus taught these things and, and this is found throughout scripture. So Christianity, we believe, is the fulfillment of true Judaism. What it means to truly be Jewish. Okay, that's enough on that. Look with me at verses two and three. And we'll start to see this story unfold. And a man lame from birth was being carried. This is a crippled man. We don't often use the description lame. It means the same thing as crippled, paralyzed. And this is a man whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. He's asking for others to, to help him. He's entirely dependent on the charity of others around him. Verse three Seeing Peter and John, I, by the way, you know, you can't really get this in the way that I want to describe it to you, but as you're working through the Greek text, there are, there are these tenses that are used and participles that are used, and if you don't, you're not into grammar, that's okay, but you need to know that this is just so vivid, it's all happening right before your very eyes. He's not just telling a story that happened back then, it's, it's happening as he's telling it. This man is being carried And he's seeing as he's being carried, as it were. It, it, there's not even this point in the story where he's placed down, although presumably he would have been. He sees, verse three, Peter and John about to go into the temple and he asks to receive alms. So he does what he's been doing most of his life, presumably. In fact, we learn in chapter four, verse 22, we're not there yet, but chapter four, verse 22, this man is over 40 years of age and he's been crippled from birth. Over 40 years, he's not been able to walk. He has to be carried. Not a wheelchair, you understand. Not a walker. He's carried. He's entirely and utterly dependent on other people around him. Always. No way to make a living. He will starve to death if left alone. Now pay particular attention to where this man is consistently placed, okay? You need to note this. He is outside the temple. Luke wants us to get this. He's at the gate. And he's at the gate known as the beautiful gate. There's some discussion as to what this gate is. I don't think it's that important. The point is, he's outside. Now notice verses four through seven. Look down at the text with me. And Peter directed his gaze at him. So this is after the man asks for alms. Peter looks right at him. And the, the language here is Peter stares at him. As did John. And then Peter said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. The man had already been looking at him because he asked for alms, but this is different. 
It's a different stage of focus and concentration. You know, it's one thing to look at someone. It's another thing to stare at them and to hang on every single word. And the text tells us that he expects to receive something from them. Verse six, Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give to you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him, that is Peter, takes the man by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So Peter looks at the man and says, in the words of the children's tune, you may know this, you may not, silver and gold have I none. I won't sing it. I really want to. I mean, I do. But I won't. (laughs) I, I was singing it all weekend. It was just on my mind. But you weren't there to hear it and become disgusted, so that's okay. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter makes much, by the way, of this name, the name of Jesus. We're gonna return to this in verse, in verse 16, but I want you to see this now. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This is another way of appealing to the powerful presence of Christ. That's what the name means here, okay? Don't, don't read into this a kind of magical incantation. That's not what this is. The name of Jesus is a way of referring to the presence of Jesus, Jesus himself. We're gonna see that in just a bit. Now remember that the gospel of Luke, Luke wrote Acts and he also wrote a first volume, the gospel according to Luke. We know this because of Acts chapter one. The gospel of Luke tells tells the story of the, of the teaching and deeds of Jesus, activity of Jesus, while he was on the earth in his earthly ministry. But how, how Luke begins the book of Acts is to say, so in my first volume, I told you all that Jesus began to do and teach, as if to imply in my second volume, the book of Acts, I'm gonna continue to tell you all that Jesus did and, te- and taught, however he did this from heaven through the sending of the Spirit. So Jesus is the one who's active in the text. Don't miss that. He's not absent, he's working by means of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. That's tremendous blessing to us as the church and followers of Jesus Christ to be able to have confidence that when we are ministering the gospel, when we are serving in the name of Jesus Christ and the authority of Christ on account of the presence of Christ, it isn't us serving, it's Christ serving through us. What a privilege that is, church to know that when you're sharing the gospel, it's actually Jesus Christ sharing the gospel through you. You're an instrument or a conduit to know that as you go out and about in the community, whether it's in Powell or North Knox County or some other part, even around the world, to know that you are simply, I'm gonna gonna steal this from, from the title of the book, you are simply an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. That's what's happening here in the text. And then the man who had been crippled from birth, the man who had never felt strength in his feet or his ankles or his legs, this man immediately experiences a sensation and then a strength he's never known. He can't recall this, right? This is not This is not like he remembers a time when. No, no, this is brand new for him. I had had knee surgery a few years ago and I'll never forget how excited I was. I mean, I've already forgotten even now, but as it were, when I walk, you know, I just walk about and and I take it for granted. But I remember when I got out of surgery and went through some physical therapy and, and I remember when I first was able to kind of walk and felt somewhat normal, and especially, especially when I was able to run. I thought, what a privilege. What a privilege it is to run. And that was just after having knee surgery and being out for just a short period of time. This is a man who for over 40 years has never known the privilege of walking, running, or leaping. 
And that's what's happening here in the name of Jesus Christ. And when the man who had been crippled since birth received strength, Luke informs us, verse eight, and the language is telling, isn't it? And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Have you ever watched a, a child new to walking move about? You ever done that? There are a number of things perhaps that come to your mind, you know, not the least of which is the child fumbles and stumbles, right? That happens. But I've, I've also considered that this child, they begin to walk and then it's no time before they want to jump and run and really often before they're ready to do so. Well, why do they do that? And there are perhaps a number of reasons why they do that. But I think, I suspect one of the reasons they do that is because of the excitement They've spent time, I won't, I won't do this in front of you on all fours here, but they've, <laughs> they've, that'll land somewhere online and that'll be a bad thing. They spent time on their face, you know, just crawling about. And you can even say when they start to crawl, there's some excitement there. Now they're standing upright and where they want to go, they just start to go. Which, you know, for parents, that means something else for you. I know. I remember that. You know, I remember this motion here. But they're so excited to walk and then to run and then to jump and, and that's what's happening here. Except this isn't, this isn't a toddler. This is a man over 40 years of age who's experiencing this for the first time and he cannot contain his childlike exuberance. Can you imagine it? But so much more is happening, okay? And you need to know this. So this is a couple things I wanna tell you and you can't miss this. If you miss this, you really miss a lot of what, what the Spirit of God, I think, is doing in this text, okay? So a couple of items I want to point out to you and then we'll, we'll move on to our next broad point. We're still under point one, all right? We're still, we're still under the demonstration that Jesus is better than the temple. But a couple of sub-points here. First, Luke's description of this previously crippled man leaping comes right out of the Old Testament. We could mention a few places here, but I think directly it's Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. So if you're taking notes, you need to jot that down. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. In that text, the prophet Isaiah tells of a future day when God's people will be restored. Okay, so there's a day coming, Isaiah says, when God's gonna restore his people and he's gonna, he's gonna grant water in the wilderness, life where there appears to be only death. A kind of resurrection is promised there, by the way, in Isaiah 35, verses five and six. And here's what he says. I'm just gonna read the text to you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Now here it is, verse six, Isaiah 35. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Not then shall the lame man walk. You see, and by the way, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is known as the Septuagint, uses the same phrase there as Luke uses in Acts 3. So I've cheated a bit. But I think this is a direct reference to Isaiah 35. So the lame man shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy, waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So Luke wants us to see that the coming of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is bringing about the future blessings God promised his people. The future is invading the present already because Jesus Christ has come has lived, has died, has been raised, conquering sin, death, and hell, has ascended into heaven, and has now sent the Holy Spirit. So these promised future blessings that we find throughout the Old Testament are already breaking into the present. This lame man is now leaping for joy. Do you remember, you may remember this, perhaps you don't, that's okay. In Luke chapter seven, there are some disciples of John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. 
And uh, these disciples of John go to Jesus and they ask a question. It's really an interesting question. It's surprising to many commentators. They ask the question, are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? You remember that? Some of you may know this. Luke 7. Are you the one who is to come? That is, are you the promised one? I mean, are you it? Are you the Messiah? Are you the great prophet? Are you the one who's, who's going to rule and reign forever as God promised throughout the Old Testament? Or should we wait for another? And do you remember how Jesus responded? Luke 7, 22 and 23. Here's what he said. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So you've got to get this to understand what's happening as the Spirit of God is carrying Luke along as he's recording this in Acts chapter three. This is in part the fulfillment of God's promises. And it's the fulfillment of God's promises through Jesus who is in heaven but working through the church. You see? And that promise remains for us even today. Second thing I do want want you to see before we move on here, and we've alluded to it already, the man who presumably spent his entire life outside the temple. There's some discussion about this. I think it's likely his entire life outside the temple. By the way, the temple represents the presence of God, right? This is the place where God would dwell among his people. And so this is a man who's been separated from the presence of God his entire life. What does he do after he's healed? He goes in the temple. Do not miss that. Up until this point, he's been watching people go into the temple as he sits on the outside of the temple. And he asks them as they go in, could you spare something so that I might eat and survive? Now, he jumps up. And the very first thing he does when Jesus Christ gives him legs is enter the presence of God. Luke does not want us to miss this. Why? Because, now I told you, I told you that Luke, we're spending far too long here, but this is massive. Luke uses the term temple about six times in the text, maybe exactly six times if I recall. And what he says here is something like this. The reason this is significant is because what the temple and the priests and the sacrifices and the law could not do for this man, Jesus did. He sat next to the temple his whole life, crippled. In a moment, through Jesus, he's healed. And he enters the temple. We could say it this way, something greater than the temple had come and that something was someone named Jesus Christ. In verse 10, we are told that the others in the temple recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms and they were filled, as you can imagine, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to this man. Okay, so, through the miraculous healing of this crippled man, Jesus is demonstrated to be better than the temple. That's the demonstration. Now let's turn to Peter's declaration and we're gonna have to move a bit quicker through declaration unless you wanna get out after lunch. We'll see. <clears throat> Peter's, <laughs> Peter's declaration that Jesus is better. Look with me at verse 11. While he, that is while the man who was just crippled and now... L- Jumping around, while he clung to Peter and John, he won't let him go. I think this is rich with symbolism as well, by the way. When you're granted life in Christ, you cling to followers of Christ. Don't miss that. 
when you come to know Jesus, you come to treasure the church. You cling to the church. Not because the church is perfect, but because the Savior of the church is perfect. And so this man clings to Peter and John. While he's doing this, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico, which is, you know, reference to like a porch, in the porch called Solomon's. This is Solomon's portico. So the man who'd been crippled for 40 years is now walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. He draws some attention, as you would imagine. And then verses 12 through 15, look with me again. Verses 12 through 15, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people just like a preacher, right? When there's a gathering of people, sees as an opportunity to preach a sermon. Hallelujah. (laughs) So he does that. Peter can't help himself, right? He's got to preach Christ. He sees the people. Now he's going to address them. He does so with these words. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. We haven't done anything. Again, who's working in the text? Jesus Christ is working but he's working through the church by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. That's where your focus needs to go, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, rather. Verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. We could translate that the originator of life. Hear the irony? You killed the originator or the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Beautiful. Maybe that's why this happened at the gate called beautiful. To this, Peter says, we are witnesses. We are witnesses to these things. Peter's message is not fundamentally about the crippled man who was now leaping. Not fundamentally, you know, that's a part of it. That's, that's a segue or a bridge, but his message does not focus on the man who had been healed, nor does Peter's message focus on the apostles, or the power or the piety of the apostles. He even says it's not by our power or our piety that this man is now walking. Peter's message is simply this. Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. It's that simple. The Jesus you crucified, God raised from the dead, vindicating Jesus' claims to be the Messiah sent from God in fulfillment of all of God's promises. Peter's message is Jesus. Now remember, back in verse six, we we pointed this out and we're coming full circle to a phrase. Back in verse six, Peter told the crippled man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, remember that? In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now Peter returns to this emphasis on the name of Jesus. In verse 16, so look at verse 16 with me. And the the way verse 16 is structured, you you can't see this in the English and I'm not gonna do it to you in the Greek. But if you're interested, come up afterward and then yeah, I'll I'll give you all you want there in the Greek text. But the way the Greek is structured, the focus goes right to the name of Jesus, mentioned twice. So here, verse 16, Peter says, the ESV translates, in his name, now you see the emphasis, his name. It's an odd way of beginning a sentence. In his name. By faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, I've mentioned this earlier, but the name of Jesus, again, not a magical incantation. I I mean, the reason I keep saying that is because I hear that time and time again, as if if we just say the words in the name of Jesus, somehow we're wielding power, as if we were magicians. That's not the idea. No, this is a way of referring to the presence of Jesus Christ and, and he's present through and in the church by means of the Holy Spirit and Peter's just drawing attention to that reality. 
So don't miss that. But I want to mention to you a text from the Old Testament <clears throat> that helps us, I think. 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8, you don't have to turn there. You can jot that down or you can just listen. 1 Kings 8, Solomon has led Israel in the construction of the temple where God's presence would remain with his people, okay? Again, the temple has been constructed, 1 Kings 8. God's presence is going to be given to the people of Israel through the temple. And then 1 Kings 8 details Solomon's dedication to the temple as it's known. Listen to Solomon's words. Verses 17 through 20. Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house, listen carefully, for the name of the Lord. He's gonna keep using this phrase the God of Israel. Verse 18, but the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, there it is again, you did well that it was in your heart. Verse 19, nevertheless, you shall not build the house. He's, that is when God was speaking to David. You shall not build the house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build the house for my name. There it is again, third time. Verse 20, Again, 1 Kings 8, now verse 20. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David my father. This is Solomon speaking. I've risen in the place of David my father and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and I have built the house for the name of the Lord. Fourth time, the God of Israel. So again, the temple, the temple was the place where God's presence, God's name would be with his people. However, now I think this is all gonna come together for you. I hope it does. The temple was insufficient to give the crippled man the healing he needed. In fact, there's irony here, isn't there? God promises to give his people his presence through the temple and yet there is a crippled man on the outside of the temple incapable of coming in and experiencing the blessing of God's presence. And it was only it was only through the name of Jesus that such healing and access to God was, was available. Remember, it was the name of the Lord, the God of Israel that was promised through the temple. Now it's the name of Jesus that grants healing to this man. This is one of the reasons why we're saying this text is, is about the superiority of Jesus to the temple. Jesus is better than the temple. But he's better in this way. He is the greater temple. He is the temple. Which is, of course, why he says in John 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The temple building represented and even provided God's presence for his people. But in the person of Jesus, we have something far superior. We have God himself incarnate. He's saying more that I'm better than the temple. I am the temple. Which is, of course, why Peter can say in the name of Jesus as a kind of substitute for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, one more bit here that I just, it thrilled me. I almost jumped up out of my chair when I was studying. I felt like the lame man receiving legs to walk and leap and praise God. And I'm, in, I'm indebted to a, to a book written by Alan J. Thompson, I've mentioned the book to you before. It's a book, The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. Great book. It's a shorter book on the book of Acts. <clears throat> Alan J. Thompson brought, brought this up and uh, it's incredibly rich. Remember, remember that in 1 Kings 8, this, this emphasis on the name of the Lord and the name of the Lord being connected to the temple, it was Solomon who made these statements. Remember that? Solomon is the one speaking in 1 Kings 8. 
Solomon is the one who built the temple. Solomon, who was David's son, through whom God brought his promise of a, of a temple construction together. Where does Peter give the sermon in Acts 3, verse 11 and following? Look at the text. Ask yourself questions as you're reading the Bible. Why are these details here? It's almost as if there's a God in heaven overseeing the text. Acts 3, verse 11, Peter preaches in Solomon's portico. Again, a hint. Jesus is better than Solomon. What Solomon talked about is now fulfilled in the true temple who is standing before you now. Jesus the Christ. Okay. That's good stuff. We have to get to applications. First, we have observed, just a little, be- little summary, quickly review. We've observed the demonstration that Jesus is better than the temple. Verses one through 10, where the crippled man is healed in the name of Jesus and enters the temple. Second, we found Peter's declaration that Jesus is better than the temple in verses 11 through 16. Even the words through Solomon being fulfilled in Jesus and preached in Solomon's portico. Man. Finally, finally, let's close with a couple applications. And these are really, I think, straightforward. You could probably preach these applications in any text of the Bible. But I think it's helpful here. First, first, find your eternal health in Jesus Christ alone. Find your eternal health in Jesus Christ alone. What this man, the crippled man, what he needed could not be found finally in the temple or in sacrifices or in priests or in any other religious practice. What this man needed could only be found in Jesus. And friends, the same is true for us. The same is true for you. We were created for the presence of God. Our sins have separated us from God, to use Isaiah's language, of course, interpreting Genesis 3. And the temple, the building of the temple, right, this brick and mortar was given for a season, was given for a season in order to grant Israel God's presence. However, it was inadequate, finally. It never was intended to serve as the final object ever. It was a means to an end. It was a sign that pointed to something greater. Now God has provided his presence to us, for us, through Jesus. And we receive that presence by means of of God the Son becoming human while remaining God. That's who Jesus is. And we did this even with my My kiddos, when they were younger, we talked about Jesus being truly human, truly God, in one person. And this this one who is truly human and truly God in one person, this temple, the temple, the presence of God, lived in perfect obedience, the life we could not live. Died as a curse in sin, Bearing, as it were, our curse, bearing our sins on the cross was buried and then was raised in glorious power on the third day bodily, demonstrating that all power and authority had been given to him, that he conquered sin, death, and hell, just as he promised. He appeared to many of his disciples and then after about 40 days, he ascended into heaven and now still he sits at the right hand of the Father, waiting to return and make his enemies his footstool. It is only in Jesus Christ where you will find, we believe with all of our heart as a church, where you will find eternal health and the presence of God finally and fully. Precisely what you were created for. If you'd like to talk about this a bit, 
If you'd like to talk about what it means to trust in Jesus, to repent of your sins, and to follow Jesus Christ, we would love to visit with you. After the service, stick around. And as you leave this room, take a left. And on the right-hand side out there is a room called Crossroads. It's labeled, as I mentioned earlier, just above the entrance. Go in there and have a conversation with one of our elders. We would love to come alongside of you and you alongside of us as we seek to serve the one who is God's temple for us. Second, second application, in addition to finding your eternal health in Jesus Christ alone, secondly, be a witness. Serve as a witness to the life-giving message about Christ to others. That's what Peter said, right? About him we are witnesses. And you're gonna hear this over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts. It begins in this way, right? Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my what? Witnesses. And then Acts tells the story of God's church, God's people serving as witnesses around the world. And we have the privilege of participating in this same story even now. What's changed? Jesus Christ still reigns in heaven at the right hand of the Father. We still have the Spirit of God. We ought to serve as witnesses. We aren't bankrupt or without. We have all that we need in Christ to boldly proclaim the gospel and to live a life that adorns the gospel of Jesus before others. So go, preach the gospel to your family. Parents, preach the gospel to your children. Grandparents, preach the gospel to these kiddos. Students, preach the gospel to your friends, your classmates. When we assume the gospel, we eventually lose the gospel. Preach this glorious gospel You'll have opportunity even to go elsewhere over the next year. We just had our Go conference. You'll be updated in the coming months and and year or so on upcoming mission trip opportunities, some in the state, some beyond internationally. Sign up. Go and preach the gospel. Go and support others who are preaching the gospel. Serve as a witness to the risen and ascended Jesus Christ. The man in Acts 3 received temporary healing, to be sure. He was able to stand and walk and leap and praise God. However, this story is not about temporary healing, but eternal healing. In fact, there are times when God chooses mysteriously not to heal in this life. You know that. And you will know it again and again as long as the Lord tarries. However, the promise of this text is in no way jeopardized when God chooses to not grant temporary healing and to allow seasons of pain and suffering. Like remaining crippled all of life. That that happens to some who trust in Jesus. Rather, the promise of this text is that Jesus... And in Jesus, rather, God has welcomed us into his presence permanently. And he will someday, don't miss this, he will someday finally provide perfect and eternal health. It is a bodily promise that will be fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns through resurrection. Someone recently shared with me a statement from Johnny Erickson Tata. Do you know Johnny Erickson Tata? If you don't know much about her, she, it's, she's worth listening to. What a, what a sister. And what a demonstration of faith she has been. Johnny is a quadriplegic. Uh, that is to say, she's paralyzed in her, in her four limbs, her legs, and then her arms basically are paralyzed as well. She suffered from a terrible fall when she was 17 years of age. She was actually diving off a cliff. They did this. She was very active and uh, did not go well. And if you've never read her story, even that testimony about that incident, do that later today. You will be convicted and encouraged. Perhaps you'll be like the crippled man who stood up 
walked and leaped and praised God as a result of it. What a testimony her life has been. So she's been paralyzed now for over 55 years. She was once asked, and this is what someone told me recently, she was once asked what she plans on doing first, first, when she is healed and receives new legs from Christ. This interests me. She responded with these words, I don't know how it's all going to fit. But right before the wedding supper and the guests are called in, right before we get started with the feast, I want to be able to kneel at the Lord's feet. And then she said, and give him paralyzed praise. It's the only way, she went on to say, that I'll be able to show him a true sacrifice. In other words, after a lifetime of not being able to stand, the first thing I want to do when he gives me legs is to lay them at his feet and not to stand. Because you see, and this is what Acts 3 is about, Johnny recognizes that there is something better than walking. It's easy for me to say, but she says it. There's something better than walking and there's something better than leaping. And that something is being finally in the presence of the God who has rescued her. That's what Acts 3 is all about. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to open up your word and to behold wonderful things therein. You are good and you do good. Christ Jesus, even Mark's gospel, bears testimony that you do all things well. As you have given life in the text, as it were, Acts chapter three, as you gave life and legs that could walk and leap and praise you to the crippled man outside of the temple at the beautiful gate, you have said to us afresh, even this morning, rise and walk. Help us to leave here walking and leaping and praising you, Father, through Jesus Christ as we wait for and long for the day when we are finally made whole in Christ Jesus. Until that day, give us boldness to serve as witnesses to Jesus Christ. In his name, for his glory, we pray these things and all God's people said, amen. Amen.